0: You train as if you have nothing. Train as if you are dead, broke, and poor, as that's if this is advice. the only way to break out. And so I also was a bit—I was a bit afraid of me satisfying and looking at those medals and be like, "Oh, like you're, you're the man. Like this, you know, like this is your time, right?" And I think there's a like confidence in that that's important. But I, I would rather—I I, like being the underdog, even when I wasn't. I just would tell myself that I was the underdog. And so by tucking those medals away, I never, I never satisfied that ego to say, like, you've done it and you can do it again. Um, instead, it was like, oh, I have, I have a chance of winning a medal and I can do it again. And then same thing when I retired. People say, like, wow, man, like, you retired. Like, why are you so, why are you working so hard? Like, what are you chasing? And I've asked myself this question. I was say, what's the answer? And I think it's a combination of, I actually enjoy working hard. Um, that's become a, kind of almost a part of my DNA where it's, it's work, but it's also it's like deeply fulfilling to see progress.
1: Apollo Ono, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Dude, I'm very excited about this. You are the most decorated winter Olympian of all time. And more importantly, you've written a new book, Hard Pivot, about how to have that next chapter in your life, which I think is really extraordinary. And we're going to get to all of that. But I want to start with, the dichotomy that i find most interesting in your life which is even in interviews from when you were competing to now you seem like a different person like watching those interviews it is very apparent that something has changed inside of your mind uh and i want to understand that dichotomy of really going hard at something and truly being you know the greatest and then finding i won't say balance because i hate that word but if you prefer that word but certainly finding um love in this new challenge Mm. that you're pursuing and i think the entry point for this is the having a father that was so disciplined and hardcore and not growing up with a mother walk us through what that was like with your dad specifically
0: yeah i think it's always um an interesting kind of context to peel back so you know my dad grew up in japan he's, he's japanese had moved to the united States. was he born he was born in
1: 45. okay so um, intense time to be born in japan intense
0: time to be born in japan and you know kind of fled japan to come to the u.s against all of my grandparents at what age was, i want to say he was like 17 or 18. with a um, dream or i think with with just a belief that the Americana system would give him more fulfillment than what was waiting for him that he felt was very prototypical Japanese culture, which was- Was that his
1: word, fulfillment?
0: No, it wasn't his word, fulfillment. I I think more importantly, he just was searching for something that was just different, Mm -hmm. right? Like in Japan, especially back then, you study to study for the next test, to prepare you for the next test, Mm -hmm. to prepare you for a job that potentially you'll be in for like 40, 50 to 60 years, or maybe until you pass. And that was kind of what my grandfather wanted for my father. And I think my dad noticed quite early that he, would, he wanted to go against the grain and didn't speak a word of English, didn't have any money. You know, he came to the U.S., the Pacific Northwest, where, where, I, where I grew up, but that's where he landed. And then from there, he basically began his life just trying to figure out how to survive in this country without speaking the language, mm-hmm. without having any money. Um, I think he only arrived with like, you know, the, the electronics from Japan, which he sold like a camera and that's how he began his life and he had every single job manageable. Um, and I give you that context because that's how my father came to this country, basically in a state of struggle and survival. Mm -hmm. And and he's, that's how he communicates today. He's like, I was just trying to survive. It wasn't even about trying to become ultra successful or wealthy. I literally was just trying to figure out how I can survive in this country. And he found very quickly that there was kind of a plethora of opportunities for him to exist and to pursue. Um, my dad went down this rabbit hole of of basically becoming what I would call to be an artist. You know, he started cutting hair and became like a, a, a barber slash like hairstylist. And his shop still is open today in downtown Seattle on, on 4th and Bell. And the same
1: shop this whole time?
0: The same shop. Wow. Yeah, the same. I mean... It's the same shop from, I would say, like he's been open for like almost 40 years now. Whoa. Right? Um, How did he raise the money? I'd never asked him that actually. Man, that's... Well, intriguing. He had, he's had partners, right? So, you know, I'm assuming at some point, um, you know, you start to save and you, you can accrue some value. Is he charismatic? He's unique. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right, all right. He's,
0: he's unique. My, my dad speaks in like weird... Like, riddle slash haiku. Yeah, Um, like, he seems really philosophical,
1: at least as you present him.
0: Very philosophical.
1: Which is intriguing. And we're marching towards a story. I know you know exactly what story we're marching towards, but... I wanna lay the groundwork. Okay, so he's got partners, he's unique, manages to convince people. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious, like the, the immigrant mentality is seems mm-hmm. almost universal, right? Yeah. Like I can make it, I can get there, then it's hard. Mm-hmm. And the people that make it through have like this intensity that mm-hmm. they want to impart to their kids. And obviously that's where you enter the picture. But what's really fascinating is, so from what little I know of Japanese culture, very traditional, very regimented, Mm -hmm. very much a box. There was a right way to be, and then there's everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm getting that he obviously chafed with that, wanted to come here, but had that drive and and had obviously imbibed some of the discipline that Mm -hmm. the Japanese culture has been known for for so long. How does that come out in his parenting?
0: I think two ways. One, my dad didn't want me to grow up being like a Japanese kid. Se. So what would that have meant? I think, uh, like speaking me in Japanese, eating only Japanese food, um, philosophically. And I think, you know, using this term of kind of like, just focus on what you're doing. You know, don't worry about these other things. Just kind of be quiet and do your job and, and be successful mm-hmm. and try to be your best and, and uh, dedicate yourself to this path. He was very open, actually, very open. And he kind of drilled into me at a very early age, whatever you want, in this world you can accomplish and it's yours. Mm. But he also like underneath that context was this like idea that I was at a disadvantage. And I don't know if because he thought that we were because of our lack of resources growing up, we just didn't have any money. Mm. Um, But that was kind of imparted in me in a way that he basically said, I believe your potential is infinite in this world. Like literally he would say this all the time. You have limitless potential over and over and over again. I didn't believe it. I didn't even know really what that meant when I was a kid. I mean, to be honest yeah, yeah. with you. But the way that he placed me into academic advanced programs when I was very young, into how he pursued all the different activities after school, because he was still working, mm-hmm. that he would basically place me in so I would be so busy after after you know going to school that I would be so tired when I, by the time I got home he didn't have to worry about what was happening. He noticed quite early that I had like an un canny amount of energy that was somewhat um relatively like new to him and he had to figure out a way to channel this energy in some sort of positive light and i think most kids typically choose sport or sport chooses them Mm -hmm. so to speak sport chose me i always say that you know i was i did swimming i did traditional american stick and ball sports i loved boxing and football those are my two favorite sports and i wanted to be a boxer my dad effectively shut that down almost immediately very wise uh, very wise um and then i wanted to be a you know i want to be Why a running did you back i want
1: to be a boxer did you like to fight
0: uh, as a kid yeah i lo- love the fight i was like rambunctious in the playground you know it's not like i was beating up other kids but mm. i think i just i was competitive pretty naturally and you know i'm very glad that he said no to boxing like i, I a i don't think i would have cut it B um i am just not built in that way but i was I'm curious why
1: do you think so you end up winning more medals than any person in the u.s in history in the winter olympics but you don't think you'd cut it as a boxer what is that i don't know i think think, like um
0: there's elements i think of fighting sports that i really gravitated towards so like even in my early days of living in the olympic training center i was the only non-wrestler to be inside the olympic training center uh, sauna Um, Mm. because only the wrestlers, I mean, by the way, it smelled so bad in there. Like that's probably a good reason why. Um, but you know, it was right next to the wrestling room in the Colorado Springs OTC Olympic training center. And I just remember like, you know, being in the sauna with my dad growing up and then him kind of telling me that this was going to be a place where my mind was going to become sharp. Mm. I didn't really understand that. Um, and then kind of being a fly on the wall with these grown men cutting weight who looked like they were carved out of granite and then they had to drop like another 12 to 20 pounds. Mm. And then watching the psychological process of these individuals do that, and here I am huddled up in the corner wearing my (laughs) beanie and sweatpants. I don't have to cut weight for speed skating, Mm. but there was something around the extreme environment that I saw within them that was really interesting. And it was this ability to kind of go above and beyond what atypical sports science would say this is okay for a human to go through. Because in theory, Right? You cut weight, you're dehydrated like mere hours before you go and compete or 24 hours before you compete. How can you possibly sustain fighting another human for the most intense match of your life? But these guys possess this almost like, like this, like supernatural um, mental toughness that I really wanted to have. Like my sport on the outside looking in, like we were spandex and race around in circles. Like, I don't fight any other human beings, right? But I wanted to be that warrior that I saw within them. And my father, I think, when a very early age, wanted to instill some type of like warrior mentality in me at a very young age. And that exacerbated in a wide variety of ways, one of which, like when I was in, you know, south of Seattle doing like roller skating and like making the roller skating, speed skating team. My father was working all the time, so he didn't have the opportunity to take me to these actual training sessions and practices. And so he did what he thought was the best, was he was going to wake me up at the age of 12 at like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, and take me to these empty school and church parking lots, put a miner's light on my helmet, and then with our old Volkswagen Rabbit, just have the headlights on, and I would just skate around in these empty locations. And he'd have this little like wooden clipboard And like, I guess he was taking lap times, like I don't even know, honestly, like thinking back, I don't even know what the hell we were doing. I don't think he really knew what he was doing. He just thought that this was how you do it, right? This was, you have to put the work in in some capacity and right or wrong, when you peel back that life experience, like what was being embedded in me was this, just this fundamental belief around like the hard work and the dedication and sacrifice to do what others are not willing to do in times when others won't even question.
1: Was to he do that. saying that or is this what you're taking away because that phrase this, this, to me this, is so powerful?
0: This is my articulation many years later. Okay. Uh, at the time I deeply resented my father. Right. I had a disdain for him. I I would probably even use the word hate my dad at certain times when I was growing up. I think most, you know, kids in their their early teens,
1: especially if their dad's dragging them out to go skating at 3:30 in the morning, yeah.
0: Yeah, and he was like we had brutal fights in the house. Like I was I was just completely on the opposite side of authority and he represented everything that was authority Mm. this like almost militant figure that is is male there's no female in my life to show me this soft side of like nurturing and care my dad loved me like make no mistake and he gave everything to me but in the way that which that was showing up on a daily basis was um, not in the form of like like abuse but it was very strict and it was strict because he just believed that I would adapt. And he started to tell me that. He's like, you're like a chameleon. Any environment that I place you in, you will adapt anywhere you go. And so this... Another, and for those
1: that don't know, you won the state championship in swimming. Yeah. You go on to do what you do in skating. So he's not wrong.
0: He's not wrong. And so he saw something, I think, in me at a very early age, especially when it relation to like sport. I'm not like a big guy, right? So there's probably like only a handful of sports that I could physiologically be more attuned with and Mm -hmm. when i saw the sport of short track speed skating it looked kind of like what i used to do in the roller skating rink like on friday nights with my friends and they're like oh let's go you know here comes like the speed skating round um and then now we were like tooling around this like local ice hockey rink with like these old mattresses from the junkyard like taped together on the outside to provide the padding system and this was like getting ice time at like midnight because it was the only time that we could afford to get like all my friends from the roller skating rink to come try ice speed skating together and just How mimic. Old you? I was like 12 and a half, 13 years old.
1: That's so crazy.
0: Yeah, and my dad would drive me there. And then, you know, because I grew up in Seattle, he would drive me across the border to Vancouver, BC. And that's where I really fell in love with the sport mm-hmm. because I had seen it done in a professional atmosphere. And the Canadians who love Winter Olympics, were incredible at it. And as a young kid who watched this sport on television, when you see it live, it actually doesn't look real. It's just like weird, like these 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 angles that you that you are leaning over on one mm-hmm. leg and they're just like whipping around these corners, doing these pivots on each corner. And I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. It also looked the most close to what I thought would be like a superhero without mm-hmm. the cape, right? I mean, same outfit, kind of wearing a helmet, flying around on the ice, this self-propelled thing on this like 18 inch blade. Um, i heard a, you refer
1: to them as samurai swords.
0: Yeah, yeah, because they're so sharp, right? Um, yeah, but it also,
1: so here's what I'm trying to tease out. So you have matured, you've changed the way that you look at things, you bring a spotlight to both the rewards of the discipline and the rewards of finding a different rhythm in your life. And I'm curious to know what you think, like you're gonna have kids, Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com impacttheory Impact Theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Impact Theory. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. Because I would assume, I've heard you say my future children before, so I'll just presume. Uh, would you wake them up and take them out at 3.30 in the morning and make
0: them practice? I don't think, I don't know, actually. Um, hopefully, I'll have more resources and time to not be able to have, to, to not force them to do that. But I do think that there's a lot of value in being thrown out of the nest. Mm. I think there's a lot of value in that did you see king richard i haven't seen it yet no
1: so for those that don't know it's about uh, venus and serena william's father yeah, i heard and it dude the parallels between your dad and their dad are pretty interesting that's a, so that's what venus told me <laughs> yeah like he just yeah. had a vision like before they were born yeah before they were born yes yeah, this is what i'm gonna do and would take them out and even though it was dangerous like he would get them on the courts and and just really put them through something and they loved it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not to take anything away from that, but put them through something that other people might look sideways at and be like, is this right? Is this abusive? Like, what is this? And I'm curious as somebody who's been through it and I think talks very honestly about the good and the bad, like sort of where you come down. Cause greatness from my perspective demands a price. Yep. And if you want greatness, you're gonna pay that price. And if you don't want greatness, you don't need to pay that price. Mm -hmm. but now to really get weird i've heard you make references to some of the things that are happening culturally in the world right now and i i do ask myself if as we back off and look at things like that and say i don't know that his dad should have done that that it you get less and less people achieving greatness
0: i think it It comes down to how you define greatness first and foremost. I can only speak for myself. If my dad had not placed me in these types of situations and environments, or if I had not operated from those psychological places of fear or anger or rage, there is no way that I would have been able to, for me, able to achieve that level of performance given my genetic makeup and ability, my natural God-given talent genetic makeup. I was Mm -hmm. capped in that environment. I needed to go outside the realm And what I have seen in terms of patterns of amazing businessmen, businesswomen, actors, actresses, athletes, politicians, whoever, we always talk about like a chip on the shoulder, some type of micro trauma that occurs in our life. These are areas or components where I think almost everyone who has done something that is uncorrelated with the traditional path has gone through. And there's some rough or hardship or traumatic experience And it can be simple. It can be, this kid used to steal my apple in elementary school. And that triggers something, may or may not, in someone's brain that creates this mechanism of, I need to protect myself, fortify myself, strengthen myself, whatever it might be. Um, And I'll give you one particular example of what I'm talking about, because it was someone who I was very close to in my life. Um, my strength and conditioning coach was someone who had taught me the, the, the potential of the mind and body and where it could go above and beyond what I thought I was possible of achieving. And he told me his background and story one time. And this guy's story is so crazy. He was basically on his own outside of Philadelphia from like the age of eight or nine years old, basically homeless, no parents, no grandparents, nothing on his own sees his first murder this far away at the age of like nine and a half. This woman gets shot like six times in the chest. And as he tells us, he goes, I can still, he's like 60 something years old today, I can still hear the thump, thump, thump in that chest. So that experience of him seeing someone who used to open up the gate for for, for like traffic or like some railroad or something to come through, uh, he used to see her all the time. And he kind of bounced around house to house, foster care to foster care. And so this psychology of like not being wanted, not being good enough for anyone to love had started to seep into this human's brain. And what did he do that would that makes all the sense in the world was he starts pursuing a life of powerlifting. And I'm not saying talking like a little bit of powerlifting, I'm talking <laughs> extreme powerlifting, like getting under... 550 cold and reverse grip like repping like 15 to 20 reps right on bench stuff like that and and just fortifying himself on the physical realm with so much mass but inside this individual is actually deeply scarred and fragmented and and broken Mm -hmm. as many of us are Um, and that was the way that he expressed himself and so in my life particularly and in relation to what you just asked I think we're going through a very transformational time globally both in terms of politics society needs and expectations like you know all of the geopolitics that exists in the world strongman populism um inner conflict and fighting inside of our own country what's right what's wrong tribalism identity politics all these things and a lot of it is stemming from this idea that people wanna subscribe and be a part of something because maybe they don't have their own identity for themselves, And it's much easier to turn their face and look towards something else. But also um, in that psychological framework, like with my friend, what I was talking about, I think sometimes when we think about performance on the extreme end of the barbell, it does take individuals, you have to tap into the darkness, right? And everyone has some semblance of darkness. You're human, right? That, that's natural. I mean, I think the goal here is not to go so, to become so engulfed where it's so toxic where you basically shut the world off. And I've been on both sides of that coin where I've shut off my team, where I haven't talked to my team for like, I didn't talk to my team when I was like five weeks straight. I didn't say a word to like most people. That's like weird. I mean, I spend six hours a day with some of these people and it wasn't because I I wasn't satisfied with them. It was because this internal angst and chaos that I wasn't able to come to. Um, understanding with that, I just felt like I personally wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. I'm so far behind. I'm so unsatisfied with what I see. And so, this self acceptance component was I, I never even looked in the mirror to actually look in the mirror, besides like washing my face and getting ready or brushing my teeth or making sure I don't have something in my teeth or something like that. But, like, there was never like an actual, and I think most people don't do this today, where I look in the mirror and see who I was in everything in all the essence. I was never, I was just not present, right? I was present in my flow state, but I was thinking about a past experience in which I lost, which drove me and gave me the anger, hatred, rage, fear, insecurity, self-doubt to motivate myself and lean on that lever to propel and to do something that was extraordinary. And I used extreme training in the sporting realm as a way to find what that was, to get that affirmation that hey, you are doing something that no one else is doing, and so therefore you must be on the right path. And I think it all all this conversation comes down to, if you wanna put it simply, I probably just wanted the affirmation of the person who I sought the most love from was probably my father, and then maybe on a subconscious level, even the mom who I've never met, right? Mm -hmm. So I think all these things, I didn't know any of this stuff, by the way, when I was competing. All I knew was that I was obsessed, I wanted to win, and i really deeply lacked empathy in every essence of what that is um which i like am not proud of today right i'm I'm proud of the performances that was laid out but the other humanistic components of being this person who i became um was cold and shut off and played the poker face and if you had asked me how i feel for seven years straight i'd tell you i'm okay i'm okay i'm okay and internally there was like deep conflict and dissatisfaction with the person who I saw you know and I when I retired in 2010 I didn't know I was going to embark upon this like personal journey of like reinvention and self-acceptance and all the stuff that we talk about today but my father started to drip on me a different type of psychology when I retired and he started to say things more in the light of you don't believe it today but your sport is merely one chapter in your life and your greatest is yet to come. I was like, how do you, how can you say that? Like I've done something that no one else has done before. Like, I don't know if I can ever replace this feeling of passion Mm -hmm. and excitement and the world's like applause of giving me the external, like, yes, this is your purpose, this is why you're here on earth. And then me feeling like that maybe wasn't enough and I want to do something else. So I think, look, psychology and human behavior is like a fascinating topic and why we do what we do. And there's been countless studies and books written on this stuff. And it's taken me a long time to understand myself about. Why I behave the way that I do? Um, why do I do what I do in relationships? Why do I do what I do in, in friendships? What am I chasing? What's important to me? Am I still satisfying the status quo or am I actually pursuing something that's important to me as a human in my life? And then, so, you know, my father, and this is why I love my dad so much, is because he's like, he's always telling me these cool things and he's basically like forcing me to say, zoom out. That, that's what he's basically always saying zoom out. You're spending so much time. On the smallest of granular details which by the way are important in your in your kind of chapter that you're writing Mm -hmm. today but without you taking the time to detach and zoom out for a second to see are you actually headed on the trajectory that is going to give you a life well lived and what how do you define a life well lived is also a part of that process my father doesn't live a life well lived according to most of the population in the us but to him he has purpose he gets up every single day. He has some semblance of ownership over his business, even though the business doesn't really make money. Doesn't care. It's like a means of like bartering for food, right? Mm-hmm. You, he, money give money come in from someone. He's cutting his hair. Goes out and buys food to satisfy himself, and he just engulfs himself in this kind of cyclical relationship. And some will say, "Well, that's not financial freedom, or that's not <clears throat> you know freedom from the system." My dad begs to differ, you know, and and I think he thinks things are a little bit different. And so, I, I just like the past 12 years have been spent pursuing this idea of like on self and then trying to understand how other people operate what's driving them what's important how do they make it how do they make it so to speak so that we can
1: better understand that idea what is a life well lived according to apollo ono
0: oh man so i just had this conversation with um president clinton it was like three weeks ago you know Um, as you do he has a podcast by the way um, are you serious he has a, yeah i did not know this wow <clears throat> um he has a podcast and so yes I, I we were talking about this kind of life well lived and for someone who had like talking to the nelson mandela's of the world and it was talking to all these world leaders and people who've faced like insurmountable conflict at our time but has to like show up for the people it's just a fascinating topic a life well lived for me is i think one that i feel aligned with my true north which is this kind of unique element for me personally which is how do I help other people find the light again in their life, find some semblance of like inner flame that tells them that they can do the hard stuff and continue on to persevere throughout whatever internal conversations are being had that maybe have been limiting them for so long, whether it's a year, 10 years, 20 years, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a job, maybe it's the internal prison between their own two years, whatever that might be, I just hopefully can show people not my way, but several ways in which they can explore to see how am I interacting with my day to day? Um, Sorry. um, And then how do I stay more in alignment with that purpose, which is a part of this kind of overall, like a life well lived. Um, And I think, you know, I talk about in the book, this, the five golden principles. Um, I think some of those are deeply embedded around giving, give
1: give those to people real fast. Yeah.
0: So these, these five golden principles that I've found to be pretty relevant or at least commonalities that exist within individuals who I, who I see to have done very excellent transitions and reinventions in their life. First one is gratitude. Second one is giving. Third one is grit. Fourth one is gearing up or setting your expectation. And the fifth one is go, getting into action. So like no more paralysis by analysis, like no more perfectionism um, paralysis is what I used to have. So like these different components, these five golden principles, and and they're kind of in that order in a way where I think that you know, living in a world where like we are incredibly blessed right like your, your setup here is like incredible you got this beautiful place like you've you've earned it and you've you you should be reaping these awards and so having that gratitude to be able to have great conversations with all these people who come through your door like that's amazing right like that's really really unique not everybody can get that and then your ability to radiate that energy to the world is also a very unique position not everyone has the ability to do that either and so you've been I don't know, like I think about gratitude in a way where like I'm grateful to be here having this communication with you because I feel like this is going to amplify messages perhaps that people already know but maybe need to be reminded of. The giving component is time, energy, resources, but also yourself, the best possible chance of having success. I used to self-sabotage a lot in races and also in training. Um, And I think there was this like subconscious layer where I was afraid of showing up fully because fully wasn't enough and I fully didn't, wasn't enough or you were
1: afraid it would not be enough? Uh,
0: i would be afraid of dealing with if i showed up fully and it wasn't enough mm. i would have to deal with the fact that hey like you just weren't good enough today
1: right so better I mean, to hold a little back and if you lose as well i didn't give him my everything yeah
0: it's like one percent there or like in oh way. you know like, i just need to focus more whatever that yeah, yeah. that compromise is that you're having in your brain versus the person who goes out into the lead early on in the race puts himself out there pre-fontaine style and and gasses out and says like i left it on the table like mm. that is incredibly admirable and so i had that fear and also many i think people also um they kind of self-sabotage without even knowing whether they start january 1st resolutions relationships whatever they might be Grid um, grit is self-explanatory right like that's a prerequisite for life like it's gonna be hard it's gonna be throw you curveballs you're going to get knocked down and you're going to fail and it's going to suck and it's going to hurt and there's going to be pain and you can metabolize that pain or that pain can blanket you and keep you submerged. That choice is yours. That fundamentally is your choice. And no matter what circumstance or situation you're in, there's always a way to perceive and react, eventually respond to that predicament in a way that actually best suits the outcome that you truly and utmost really desire. That's that grit.
1: Now, I've seen your training, so I know there was a lot of pain metabolizing for you. How One, how do you metabolize physical
0: pain and how do you metabolize emotional pain? Well, when I was training in the Olympics, physical pain was one that I was seeking. I was always seeking physical pain.
1: And so you're telling yourself, this is what I have to do to win or what what's actually playing in your head that allows you to stay in that level of discomfort
0: it was you know every day was a bit different right so as i learned more about sports psychology there was different various techniques in which to embrace pain so communicate with pain physically in a way so we would we would use the bike and or a stairmaster, or we would do these things called low walks where we basically put on a weight vest and you're just doing like very low like 90 degree walks you know in the skating position Sounds fine. We, well. It's, yeah, when you do them like around a four hundred meter oval um, on like like a track, Sounds basically miserable. It's miserable, right? And like your coach is yelling like, if if your knees ain't bloody, you ain't going deep enough. You know, it's like what is this old school dude telling you? You know, like does that make any sense? Why do my knees knees need to be bloody? Like, and so like I think metabolizing that physically was like I went through various stages in my career. Um, one was, you know, this is a natural physiological response to what's happening. Your body's producing acid. Now it needs more oxygen. It needs to be able to, you know, the reason why you're in this tightened state and you feel this like lactic acid almost in your gums is because your body's actually being poisoned by this buildup that's actually happening. And that's mm. okay. It's going to actually flush through. And so David Creswell was the first sports psychologist I ever worked with. He basically told me, he goes, why don't you just observe it, observe the pain, actually feel it, see where it's actually coming, visually represent that in your cellular system. And so we got very in tune with what that looked like. And then later on in my career, we went, I I tried like various different experiments with like deep meditation to almost where I was in like a trance-like state to where I was able to, to maintain a threshold that was so high for so long where it almost basically like your vo2 max like you should basically peak and then fall right um and then with training you're able to kind of peak and then sustain this peak for like a weird un like a weird like ungodly amount of time that shouldn't be possible um because your body's just able to sustain this amount of pain so we, we played around with that and then when i met john my strength coach um that was like a whole new level of pain um uh, when we like, when we decided to like reinvent the way that we thought about training and, and transitioning beyond like, the blueprint for success that worked in the previous two Olympics in my life was actually not going to work for the final Olympics of my life because the sport had changed. Mm. There was new athletes with new techniques, new body types, new physiologies, new equipment and technology, and my playbook, so to speak, was being read by the world since nineteen ninety eight. They had had they had the playbook right. since ninety eight. They had studied me. And, you know, throughout that process, we just, we had to figure out to go to the next level required me to mentally go above and beyond what I thought was possible. So that was in the form of like some pretty extreme training.
1: Head right now to netsuite.com slash theory. Again, that's netsuite.com slash theory. Get the information you need. Head to netsuite.com slash theory. All right, so we're learning how to deal with pain. We're very much in sort of the warrior mentality thing. One, talk to me about that universal applicability of the skills that allowed you to be great. And then- talk to me about, okay, I went through it. I did this. I don't know that it was an optimal way, but it yielded a phenomenal outcome. But now that I'm older and more aware, I know which pieces to bring with me in my next pursuit of greatness and which ones to leave behind. And then we can nest that in the great divorce or we can deal with that separately.
0: Yeah. The transition stage was tough because I had knew that, known that these attributes were fortified and become solidified in my body in my mind as and had
1: you enumerated them like were you now like okay i am tenacious i'm gritty like do we have the the 5g's already or no
0: not not when i retired when i retired i was i knew retirement was coming because i had set my brain internally I didn't tell anybody that like two years out from the games this is probably the last olympics hmm. so how do you leave it all on the line regardless of outcome and still walk away being happy But when the time actually came, when the closing ceremonies occurred and I came back home, I was actually very confused. The first year I was still training like twice a day. I was like, what the hell are you doing, man? There's nothing to train for. Like, why are you still getting up going for these runs and doing like speed skating exercises? Mm. I was just so conditioned to believe that this is what I had to do. And a part of it's like my own, you know, like you just feel better when you train and work out. You just psychologically just feel like you're more calm. At least it was for me. And I just felt lost. I felt like I was like paddling this like boat for my, my whole life. And I was like looking down and I looked up and there was like no land to be found. I was like in the middle of the ocean. I had no idea which direction I was going. I had no idea where I was. I had no idea what other skill sets that I had. And we talked about this because in the book, I, you know, I was like fundamentally lost. I knew this was coming. Everyone had told me at some point that when you retire, Apollo, you're going to have to figure out what it is that is going to replace the passion and drive you had for speed skating and for the Olympics into the next realm. I was like, yeah, yeah, I understand. Like, of course, of course, that's, that's always going to happen. I'm going to win in business, I'm going to do all these things and I had no idea what I was going to get myself into. And so I spent a lifetime saying no to everything that didn't involve me performing at the highest level possible. And what I realized quite literally was that I had two things, one, super curious naturally, just curious, just about learning and, and like just want to learn about things and two, I started saying yes to everything. And that was the real catalyst for me. And luckily I was young enough to be able to say yes to everything. But even though I was like 28 years old, don't forget I was like 28 going on 18. Because my personal development and work experience was confined to that of the locker room. I hadn't done anything else from basically when I was 14 years old until I retired at 28. I did nothing. I didn't do any other activities. I was like angel investing and stuff. I had no idea what I was doing. Literally, it's like no idea. It's like throwing darts. Right? Um, and when that occurred, I didn't tell anybody about kind of what I was thinking, but I was like deeply afraid of trying to figure out what I was doing. And I started just chasing and chasing and chasing, going and spending time in Asia, trying to do cross-border deals, learning about different businesses. And that was the amazing part, was me seeing in real time the immersion that I did in the Olympic space. And then having that kind of relentless pursuit in the same way, even though it was out of a fear of not succeeding Mm -hmm. and feeling like the world expected me to succeed in whatever else that I did in my life, which is like not necessarily true. Right. But I believed it. I believed that the world said, hey, man, you're five years behind. You should be retired by the time you're 30 and you should have this, 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 this and this. These are the things that you have to have in order for you to satisfy the external signals that are telling me. Mm. There was no one telling me that. It's kind of like the Michael Jordan thing. No one was telling me that these things were important. I just was, that's how I was receiving the information. I was like processing that. And so I got stuck in this hamster in the cage mentality where I was just like sprinting and sprinting and sprinting. And then I realized probably about two years into my retirement that I could get off the ha- I could get off this like treadmill. I was actually in control. I was this I was the governor of my own speed limit. What was
1: stopped keeping you stuck? Was it external validation? Because you weren't grounded in who you were?
0: I don't think I knew entirely what or who I was outside of the sport. I knew very clearly who I was when I was pursuing the Olympics. Mm. When you remove that, those barriers that provided me the guardrails of support to ping pong towards my goal.
1: What messed with you though? Like not knowing what to do with your time or not knowing if you're cool
0: or valuable. All of the above. All of the above, right? I had, The guardrails before were my coaches, the training program, the fans, my father, my friends, the medals, the com- competition, which the pursuit. Which you keep in a drawer. Which I kept in a drawer. Um, There's
1: something interesting there. They're in a bag sure. now. They're like
0: an old baggie. Because did you know from the beginning you didn't want them to matter or... You know, someone had said something to me in the sauna a long time ago in the Olympic Training Center. And they, it might have been, I don't know who it was, it might have been Marion Jones. And she said something like, You train as if you have nothing, train as if you are dead broke and poor, as That's if this is advice. the only way to break out. And so I also was a, bit, I was a bit afraid of me satisfying and looking at those medals and be like, Oh, mm. like you're, you're the man, like this, you know, like this is your time. Right? And I think there's a confidence in that that's important, but I, I would rather, I, I liked being the underdog, even when I wasn't. I just would tell myself that I was the underdog. And so by tucking those medals away, I never, I never satisfied that ego to say like, you've done it mm-hmm. and you can do it again. Um, instead it was like, oh, I have, I have a chance at winning a medal and I can do it again. And then same thing when I retired, people say like, wow, well, man, like you retired, like why are you so, why are you working so hard? Like, what are you chasing? And I've asked myself
1: this question. I was going to say, what's the answer?
0: And I think it's a combination of, I actually enjoy working hard. Mm-hmm. Um, that's become a, kind of almost a part of my DNA where it, it's, it's work, but it's also, it's like deeply fulfilling to see progress. And I think that's what I'm really after is I like to see the progress. I like to see things like little puzzle pieces come together um, in this like team environment or with a business, whatever it might be. And then um, the other component of this is like, during this transition phase in, this, in this, this reinvention was, like Apollo, you can't expect that your medals or your bio of what you were subscribed to and married to your whole life is going to carry you for the next generation. And if you stay handcuffed to that, you're always gonna remain as such. Mm. And that's why I never went back to coaching, although I have friends that I deeply respect for them to go back. For me, in the way that I saw it was that was my easiest path And the easiest path was not to go back to the sport. The harshest path was to do something completely against the grain and different, kind of like what my dad did when he came to the U.S., um, against all other wishes of saying, build your brand, focus on this stuff, and, and do these things. And I've been very blessed to receive all that stuff, but I never really actually worked on it. It was just kind of organically coming in the door. And instead, I said, I want to do something totally different, and I want to be recognized as such for these efforts out there. And so that's where this chameleon-esque-like mentality began of how do I transition from this one soul identity and then pour the cup out and begin again and I'm brand new. I'm a baby. No one knows me in the room. People question why I'm actually in the room. where did you go to school? Why do you have like no finance background or knowledge? And that doesn't feel good, right? Also,
1: you're 26. Yeah. You look... 26 i'm not 26 but no um, i know yeah but yeah (laughs) damn i'm sure that does not help
0: doesn't help um even today people uh like one of my partners is 25 years old um and he's like this guy's brilliant you know and like i feel like i'm 25 right that's also part of the problem because my my life was stunted for 15 years like our growth in the locker room was when i was 14 to like when i was like i said so again all these components i think are fascinating and I think the real like, deeper con- contextual conversation here is, like, if you are someone that has been married to a previous identity, which is natural, right? you at some point will have to break free from that. And there's attributes and things that made you great at what you did, but it wasn't actually what's on that business card. It wasn't the title that you achieved that is who you are. Mm. It's the things that make up the construct. It's the four-year journey, the eight-year journey of the things that I did when no one was watching behind the curtain that made me a champion. How did you pick the next thing? Like as you're pivoting, so you're out at sea, Dude, it's a I great Dude, I tried analogy. so many things. I, it was, so just explore, that I d- was the beginning. I just explored. I mean, I did everything from like manufacturing, software, hardware, what textiles. What did you pick
1: manufacturing? That's so random. When I was reading the book, I was like, what? Yeah. I was about the last thing I expected. The yeah. winning Dancing with the Stars, that made sense. Going into <laughs> broadcasting, that made sense. Yep. Going into manufacturing, that was confusing. Yeah. Even real estate, I was yeah. like, okay, okay. But like manufacturing, what?
0: It's just opportunistic, right? I, I, I saw an opening, like I'm racing. There's an opening. Looks like it's a unique position. I'm going to take it and I'm going to see where it runs. Um, I think sometimes we live our life as if we're never going to die, right? And I think that I deeply lived that from like the age of when I retired, probably until the age of like, 35
1: meaning for you it was okay to lack focus because you're gonna live forever i mean i was
0: focused Don't going wrong i was very focused on what i was doing but i don't know that i had a 10-year like plan here right. i didn't like say okay when you're 45 how are you gonna look back it was like what do i gotta to do today next hour next week etc and how do i continue on this path to just mm-hmm. win but also there's like something fascinating around learning something new like i think that that's that, that's really like, to me, it's like super exhilarating. And I didn't know at the time, but you know, the, the, the people that you can hopefully surround yourself with should really be, I talk about this in the book, like your, your personal board of directors, mm-hmm. so to speak. Those people are really critically important to your overall growth. And they're hard to find. Community is hard to find. Tribe is hard to find, right? And I think that those things are, are critical. So that's how I began, man. Like when I, when I retired in 2010, 12 years ago, I had no idea where it was going to take me. I had no idea the different things that I would experience and the people that I would talk to. And I had other people, my agents and my managers telling me, "Why don't you come back to LA and pursue a life in the entertainment industry?" And I and I would like just do it to satisfy them, but there was I, I never really actually did it. And I loved film and I still love film and I love the creative arts and it's beautiful, but I just felt like that there was something else out there that I needed to go and explore mm-hmm. and satisfy this curiosity that existed. Even my father, would he would ask me, like, what are you doing? Like, why? Like, who are these people that you're hanging out with? Like, what, like, what are you doing? Surveying this, like, piece of land that's, like, 300 hectares in Southeast Asia. Like, what, are you going to build a brand new central business district? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to help, uh, I'm going to help do some stuff there, you know? Like, no idea what I'm doing, but just trying to fast, just trying to learn as fast as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, like, that to me has been, incredibly rewarding in so many ways. Take away the finance side, take away the success side, just purely from a learning perspective. It's been, it's been so powerful um, internally to just grow as that person. And then now, being 12 years retired, look back on my life and be like, man, like, you've experienced so many things and there's so many people who have had the same type of internal conversations that you have had around their own lack or not being good enough or fears how can you help these people, not shortcut, but basically accelerate their process towards aligning with their true north? And the work that, is the yeah, shortcut. The work is the shortcut.
1: That's one thing you say that I absolutely love. Okay, so the work is the shortcut. You wanna help people find that, figure that out. As you go through all of this stuff now, like you're so, it's and I said this earlier, but you're so different now. I've seen enough footage of you when you were racing. Mm-hmm. Like your idling when you were racing is just different than your idling now. Yeah. I have a guess as to what I'm picking up on, but what do you think I'm picking up on? What is the difference?
0: Um, so I think there, there's two things that I think about often. Because when I watch myself when I was competing and talking, mm-hmm. I actually don't recognize that person, and nor do I remember what I was talking about. it's like it, Almost like it was a different personality mm-hmm. that was there.
1: That is very much how it feels.
0: Because that's what it was. Don't forget, Tom, my life was in this microcosm that was mm. so small. So I believe the world worked like this, this, and this. And I constructed my own reality in that realm, right? And when I retired, I realized very quickly that there's a lot of people who just don't care about speed skating. To put it simply, they just they don't know about it. They don't care. What did about that it. do to your mind, though? It it just like it blew me apart. Right? It just in I, a bad way. No, it, just, it it like lit me up, saying like, I've been living in the locker room.
1: Did it light you up in a there are other worlds to conquer kind of? you thought for a minute, like Alexander the Great, I have conquered everything, no. I've came, I've won all these medals?
0: No, it was never about conquering. It, it, was, it was about, I think it was about exploring.
1: It was so just- so much more to discover.
0: There was so much to the world. People, cultures, diversity, food, businesses, the dynamics of international business, like was so fascinating that I saw the same things I used to study in sport around human behavior, I would start to exhibit the same type of analysis when I would meet someone. Mm. And I was like, "Whoa! Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm almost like I'm playing poker, right? This is like very interesting. Like, what's actually happening here? I'm not a good poker player, by the way, because um, I just I wear too much emotion um, today. I, I probably would have been a pretty good poker player when I was competing because I was just like very stoic, and I was just either happy mm. or just stoic. That was like that was it. So I, I think like, you know, like to answer your question, like it, this whole idea around." Exploration and having this like natural curiosity is almost like a child. It gets trained out of you when you start to, to have these like calluses in your body and your mind, right? And that's exhibited by failures, pain, friendships, relationships, financial loss, whatever it might be. And then it stops becoming fun and it starts becoming much more about work. And that's okay. But I think that there's something really unique around seeing someone who's 40, 50, 60 years old that almost is childlike in their exploration around play, right? Just like someone who, I don't know, like there's, like, when you look, like, for example, when you looked at Ronnie Coleman and he's, like, yelling in the gym, he's, like, laughing, that's, like, a sense of play. This man's Mm. about to move 800 pounds in a back squat and he's, like, kind of, like, having fun with this. Warren Buffett, he doesn't care about the money. He's all about playing the game. He's having a playful experience with his investing, right? So I think that... There's this resurgence around, yes, you have to embody the work because it is a shortcut. And by the way, the lowest hanging fruit for anyone to accomplish something is just by doing the work because everyone is distracted. And so by by, by you to eliminate the BS out of your life and focus on what's really necessary and required, you're like light years ahead of most people. Immediately, that's like from a competitive advantage point of view, that happens to be the standard now that you can surpass very easy. And so you combine that with this like play of I'm doing the work, but I'm also exploring in a way that's naturally curious, I think that's like a very powerful outcome. And it also mm-hmm. I think helps with learning, right? Because you're, you're starting to explore things that you find are fascinating.
1: Okay, so in all of this, it's such a profound change. I'm curious, when did you stop hating your dad? Uh,
0: I stopped, I stopped hating my dad. I think probably when I was like 16.
1: Okay, so still in the thick of like the hardcore shit, but something switches in your mind.
0: Yeah, and I think that it was replaced with sport.
1: Was it a realization that, oh, wow, like he's really helped me become world-class? Because by that point, you were a phenom.
0: I was already winning. I was number one in the US. Yeah, it was more of like a... My father also started to back off the more I progressed through sport. He was still there, but he just kind of let me do my, my thing.
1: Was he still dropping haikus and oh, absolutely. deep wisdom?
0: Abs, all of the time. My father, even to this day, even like, like, a, like a couple of days ago, just the way that he communicates with me, right? Whether it's about like, just life in general, about travel, about being grateful, um, about telling me and reminding me how most of the world lives.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's very in tune with that. Because you know, like I, I've, I've like had success, I've seen amazing experiences and, and experienced things that I think have just been like astronomical. And he always brings it back to center. He's like, don't forget effectively the human experience for most people. And this is what's still important. So as you chase and you chase and you chase, don't forget to recenter and bring it back. Mm. And so my dad, is, he, he's a beautiful soul. And I wish that he would write a book because I think it's really interesting how he views the world his experiences throughout life of having to survive, having me at a very young age and deciding to take full custody and not knowing what to do. And if there's any listeners who are single parents, like I'm sure it's hard, really hard. And uh, there's times when you probably feel like you're just not gonna make it and figure it out. And my dad had those same exact conversations. And there's this picture that he sent me. I'll send this to you after we're done. He emailed this picture to me. And it's a picture of him sitting on a couch like this And a picture of me as a baby. I'm like holding onto his pant legs. And he's like looking at me literally just like this. (laughs) And you can almost think in his head, he's thinking like, what am I going to do with this kid? I don't know how to raise you. Mm. And he writes this to me in the text. He's like, Yuki, says, I don't know how I'm going to raise you. And it says, AAO, that's what he calls me, AAO, Paulo Antonino, AAO. It says, don't worry, dad, I will raise you. And that was like super interesting. So... I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply grateful for those experiences. I'm deeply grateful to have you know, experienced some of that hardship and that psychological trauma that was sometimes self-inflicted, maybe because I, I needed someone to compete against um, and maybe the teammates weren't there so I needed to have it internally, whatever mm. that might be. Uh, and even more grateful to be able to share that stuff with people today because I know that people are in pain. I know that they want more from life And they deserve to experience it in the maximum way possible. And um, one of my partners has uh, 86,400 tattooed on his his left forearm. It's 86,400 seconds in a day. Got it. And I always wondered because when I first met this individual, I saw so many similarities um, in him that I saw 20 years ago in my younger self. This is like obsessiveness around maximizing every minute of the day. And I realized that He is doing this, he has a family, he has a huge business, very widely successful. Like he just operates at a different level. And so I was drawn into this idea around how much time do we waste per day on things that don't really matter that are in a self-deprecating state or um, inflicting pain much deeper than it actually is required, right? Um, And I, I realized very quickly like I just, uh, there's lots of bullshit that we do throughout the day, you know, a lot. And, and some of it's necessary, by the way. Like I don't want anyone to be like militant here, but I do think that there is some governing that needs to be recalibrated mm-hmm. as we go through this massive technological shift that's actually overcoming the globe um, and maintaining the human component because it, we're still operating these devices at our will. And so we need to start acting like that versus the other way around. Um, and then taking back control over the steering wheel, right? Um, Most of us, and I've been in that position, just kind of go through life in the passenger seat, right? And just being like, oh, this stuff's happening to me. It's just happening to me versus Mm -hmm. happening for me. And a lot of this is like deeply rooted in just behavioral psychology. And so look, the internet is an incredible resource of knowledge and that's where I've gone down the rabbit hole of learning about myself and having therapy myself, working with other people. Um, and then communicating with friends and, and people about what, what drives them? What's been their kind of itch? What was their chip on the shoulder? What's driving them? Um, what's driving this activity? What's driving the behavior? And is it in alignment with what's really important? So I just, I constantly, in, I, I just encourage people to ask them like, what do you want from life? And what do you, be, what do you believe life wants from you? When you zoom way out, Right? What is that answer? Like, What is it for you? For me, I want from life to be surrounded by friends and family who are loving and happy and supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be able to live this life in a way that is not only about me but is about other people, about helping them maximize themselves, to help them through the hardship. In a way that shows them that they actually are the ones steering the ship, not me, not this influencer or this guru. It's actually them getting through the hard stuff, and we use these kind of you know the, these lines to tow ourselves at times. Um, and then I believe life wants for me to stay on this path, to stay grounded, to stay communicative, to stay deeply embedded in both culture of what's happening, especially here in the U.S., but also in the youth that's up and coming and facing. Um, incredible challenges but also has amazing resources at their fingertips so it's this delicate balance of basically seeing the best in humans and then helping them see that best of themselves so that they can persevere and and pivot and reinvent
1: that makes a lot of sense now you've gotten a lot of wisdom in your life whether from your dad or your coaches or whoever what is, for somebody that's in a position where they're lost at sea, they're having that moment, they don't know what's next, what piece of wisdom that you've encountered is the most useful?
0: Good, t- good timber does not grow with ease. The stronger wind, the stronger trees. Um, you know, Douglas Malick, th- there's a quote, and and I really, you know, hopefully people can can read this quote, but it it is our life to be surrounded by hardship. Not always, but you're gonna be facing it. And Mm. the current state of where you are at today is very difficult to explain to yourself why you're here, how you got here. Maybe it was because of your own choice. Maybe because you've dug yourself into a hole. Maybe it's because of something that happened that's outside of your control. And you need to surrender to this outcome at this moment And not take the result as is, but surrender to it and then accept who you see in the mirror. That's my first process. If you wanna change the things that are happening on the outside, you gotta look inside. And I am far from perfect. I have made tons of mistakes. And I continue to make mistakes and I will continue to make mistakes. But at least I know now that I can get off the treadmill and I can work on this. I, I am willing to embrace the inconsistencies and the self-doubts and the lack thereof and the weakness that is there with me. It's a part of my human experience and slowly I can start to chip away at that. And I know that with consistency, it's going to make a change. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be rapid. These things take time. Behavioral change is really, really hard. And we know that. And some people are able to do it very quickly because they've had enough they quit smoking, they quit drinking, whatever it is, they just, they're done, right? I've had enough. That's like that setting expectation, that's that like gearing up is like enough is enough, this is no longer acceptable to me as the baseline. But why do you have to get to a state that is so far backed up against the wall to reach that? You don't have to, you can turn this on at any point. So those people who are in this state where they feel conflicted, in chaos and uncertain I think embracing the fact that change is here and this asking you, it's begging you to actually go towards the flame. It's begging you to stand up tall and be strong and to know that this will pass in some shape or form, whether you get through it and it's successful or it simply just passes and is faded into a distant memory of your life experience as one of many hundreds of chapters in your life. At the current present time, it feels like the pain is insurmountable and you're not going to make it. And just like we did in the Olympic training, it will pass at some point. And I think recognizing that, zooming out, um, is a big part of how people can really motivate themselves but also actually have the mechanical steps necessary to, okay, I'm here, I wanna be here, I just want to be normal again, I don't want this pain or whatever I'm feeling. And it's funny how that works, right? It's interesting how we typically only want the most simplistic of things when we're faced with severe pain. That's either financially or like, you know, maybe you had like, like you're really sick. All you wanna do is just breathe naturally. That's all you want. You don't care about anything else. I don't want this sport ape. You know, I don't want this crypto punk. Like all I want is just to fucking breathe. That's, that's it. That's the most important thing to me right now. So for people who are struggling, um, this is a part of the process and it's unexplainable. You are strong enough. You can do the hard stuff. You're being thrown out of the nest and you got to adapt. You can and you will. Human beings have been adapting for millions of years in this planet and here we are. So um, just just have confidence in that. You know, I think it's, it's very, very powerful. And this, this is so, it's just so important in anything you do. School is important, education and knowledge, but this, the willpower that exists inside the human being is, is unexplainable, right? And whatever this consciousness is that allows us to go above and beyond science is so cool. It's so powerful. We're still trying to figure out what's actually occurring there. And so just realize that this, this is your, you know, your, your catalyst for change, for critical um, movement towards what you really want, um, or it can be the world's strongest prison and it's very, very small between the confines of your two years.
1: No doubt, well said. Where can people find you and get more of these nuggets of wisdom from somebody who's been through all of it?
0: Oh, you can follow me on, on all the social channels, you know, at Apollo Ono. 1L. 1L, that's right. Um, my dad was very, very particular about yes. setting something there. Uh, and then, you know, pick up the book, Hard Pivot. It's, it's a very easy read. It's short, you'll read it very quickly. It's very simple. Um, And it's going to be one of a series of kind of um, ideation phases around Mm. talking about these topics psychologically and behavioral change and such.
1: Nice. The book's great. Yeah, thank you. Amazing. Guys, this is somebody who's been through it, done it, and was able to encapsulate the wisdom in a way that's incredibly useful. I think you will love the book. I definitely encourage you to pick it up. And speaking of things that I encourage you to do, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Peace.